How's it going, everyone? It is once again me, Chewy, and I am one of the hosts of the podcast titled Expert in the Myths Behind the Legends. And before we go on, I do want to remind our listeners that we do have our social media. We have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. The easiest way to find us is to go to our Linktree page. And the link for that is linktree.com slash myths behind LGDS. That link is now posted on our Spotify and on our Anchor profiles. So if you're listening to us on any of those sources, you can just click on the link and find us. And today, my co-host Mariah is not able to join us, unfortunately, for health reasons. She is doing okay, but she has the corona. So, yeah, best of of, uh, wishes for Mariah. She's doing okay, I think. She just needs a few more days to recover, and I think she should be back by next week. So, everyone, send her positive energies and vibrations, please. So, in her place today, I have none other than my friend Robbie. How's it going, Robbie? Going okay. It's uh, great to be on here. Yeah, man. So you've been on our show before. You talked about, I think it was movie adaptations that you you and I talked yeah, about. Yeah, that last yeah. Time. We, we, yeah, we we kind of went through and cycled through the issues mm-hmm. that Hollywood has in bringing, you know, some of our favorite video games, comic books to the big screen. It felt like a good. It felt like a good conversation. Oh yeah, man, for sure. So, today though, we're going to talk about a movie, specifically The Return of the Living Dead, aren't we? Indeed. Indeed. Um, I can't remember the other two you suggested, but as soon as I saw this one, I I didn't want to have anything to do with those other two. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, those were just kind of like placeholders. I kind of wanted to do this one too. (laughs) Um. I think I said Slenderman, and the other one, the other one was either The Haunting or House on Haunted Hill, or one of those movies, one of those haunted house oh. movies. Oh man, House on Haunted Hill. That sounds so bad. I'm I'm so glad we went with this one. <laughs> um, on that note, for that movie, there's an original, I think, from the 50s or 60s, and then there's a there's a remake which came out, I believe, in the late 90s, and both are pretty lame. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think I actually own the DVD for the remake. If I'm not mistaken, I I put away some of my DVDs in boxes, and I I can't remember what I have, what I don't have anymore. But anyways, uh, we are here to discuss the Return of the Living Dead, sir. So let's do that instead of talking about shady movies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is this is sort of it's sort of an official and not official sequel to Night of the Living Dead. The George A. Romero classic that kick-started what we would come to know as a zombie genre in the years that followed, and his sequels, Dawn of the Dead, and the others in the series, are um, basically his takes on the zombie genre, and they're not actually they're not actually what the thing is about. And Dan O'Bannon. The uh, guy, he's he's a guy behind a bunch of hardcore science fiction classics. He retained the rights to the living dead part of it. And this one is actually like probably the greater spiritual sequel to <laughs> The Night of the Living Dead. I think that's good to keep in mind when you're watching this movie because it, it plays like 
into a form of camp and silliness that isn't there in like the other Romero films while also indulging in the type of social commentary Romero was known for. But it's it's much more broad than anything Romero was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's his whole life. Even his even his worst film never goes as full on camp as this does. So like as far as my favorite scenes, um, I'm gonna try to do these somewhat in order so that way we kinda we kind of have some kind of plot layout as we're going along with these. Um, I really, I really just enjoy like kind of the beginning because it doesn't really have anything going on. You're just kind of introduced to this guy who's working at this really random, weird warehouse storage facility of some kind. <laughs> and that's when, <laughs> and like, there's all this like very folksy dialogue between him and the two people that are above him. <laughs> and I like all that stuff. Um, Dan O'Bannon has a really great way with dialogue. I think this movie has aged well in the way other movies from its time period maybe haven't because its dialogue feels very natural, feels very, uh, you know, it just feels very in place. Like, I feel, okay, I, I live in Indiana, and this supposedly takes place in Louisville, okay? So... <laughs> So I feel like I know these people when I watch this movie. Like I like I know how these people speak. I'm a little bit ways, but you know, really, the the gulf between Indiana and Kentucky isn't that far, and we're we're kind of cross pollinating all the time. So all the <laughs> all the dialects get <laughs> mixed together. So like watching this movie, there was a whole bunch of phrases I was recognizing it. Felt very uh, homey, you know. Home, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but felt very comfortable going through this thing. Uh, I felt like I knew this movie, even though this was really the first time I'd watched it for the show. Um, I'd probably seen clips over the years and different things, and uh, the the whole concept that the dead likes brain the dead like brains because it makes them feel better. I'd already been introduced to from my dad. So I guess, I guess he had seen this at some point and that kind of, uh, warmed its way into his head because that's always kind of stuck with me and watching this, you know, clarified what that was all about. So yeah, like just, just the intro and then leading up into the goo being for, I guess it's more of a gas. It's not really a, a goo i mean i guess it takes the form of uh like i mean it just kind of absorbs into the air yeah it's more of a gas really yeah when they release the gas that actually starts turning the people them and people into zombies from it from contact which uh i think like you really have to get hit hard with it if you're already alive and uh <laughs> you know it, it, it's going to turn you into a zombie, it seems, because uh, all those other people, they got the rain on them, and they ain't necessarily turn into zombies. I think it's only in gas form that it affects you. If you're alive, that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of moving on, when we actually meet Freddy's girlfriend and that whole gang of punks that we spend a lot of time with in the movie, I just... Uh, I liked all. I like driving around scenes. I like 
<laughs> I like a film that isn't afraid to have a bunch of characters just be fucking off for a few minutes, driving around in a car, like insulting each other, just just wasting time. Like it just it just felt like good. Like it felt like this is the this is the type of movie that good B movie directors make. I think we all did it. We all did that at some point with our friends, or, or still do sometimes. You know, we kind of just get a couple of friends in a car and just listen to music and just talk crap to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it kind of establishes who our characters are. Um, I can't keep track of all these names, so you'll have to forgive me. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me either. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, there's a ton of characters in this movie, and uh, I started thinking about this before we were recording. Like, man, I can't. I can't place names on almost any of these people because there's just so many characters in this movie. Um, <laughs> Freddie is like the main guy who is with his boss when the gas gets released. Um, I think that guy's name is Frank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and uh, I really like the stuff happening with them. Um, it reminds me a lot of like kind of condescending shitty bosses I've worked for and the dynamic. <laughs> you have with them when you're a young broke guy who's too worried about losing a job to <laughs> say anything bad or do anything terrible. <laughs> I love it. Well, after they like get the like gas on him and they run into the office and they're like screaming about it and everything. And he's like really upset. And he says something sharp and Frank is like, you watch your tone boy. If you want to keep this job, he's like, why would I want to keep this job? Like, <laughs> like from the minute that happens, like I'm not keeping any job. Oh, that no. happens. Oh, no. oh my God. Like if, if, if some guy just dragged me down to a dark basement where there are corpses all around me of some form, you know, like in different ways, like there's different types of corpses. Skeletons count as corpses and no one's going to tell me different. Yeah. <laughs> Look, someone, someone should have been having some dancing skeletons in this movie. That's probably the one thing <laughs> keeping this film from being the ultimate zombie film. <laughs> which uh i do think this film is an achievement in the zombie genre when you look at the time it was released in and the things that were going on and especially like it's punk flavoring is awesome like oh man i like all the punk music and all the goth rock and death rock stuff really good i agree with you man i agree with you. the the aesthetic of this movie is it's very much of its time i think it's very 80s but it's because there's different 80s, like depending on who you ask. Of course, there's the, the, the new wave, poppy 80s, like Duran Duran kind of stuff. And then there's this 80s, which is very campy and, and punk rockish. And then there's a metal 80s. So, I mean, depending on who you ask. But, I, I mean, regardless of that, I think, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you in the sense that it's it's very unique. and but But it's still very 80s. Yeah, yeah. O'Bannon kind of took this movie over from uh, Toby Hooper, and O'Bannon like basically said, "I'll do this, but you have to let me completely rewrite this." And I think like he was able to get that music really cheap as well, so that was kind of a like success for him on a certain level. He didn't have to spend. I'm assuming like I would imagine like a lot of punk rock bands at that time. 
I didn't look into the music as <laughs> in this as much as I should have. But I would imagine like most punk rock bands at that time would just be happy to be working with somebody like him. <laughs> he has such an incredible resume. I'm sure they were honored to even be thought of for for the film <laughs> i got god knows if, if dan o'bannon came up to me and i was in like a punk rock band that had no hits and they wanted to use me in their movie i'd say yes in a heartbeat they wouldn't even have to pay me <laughs> i do like the music the track that starts when the the dead start rising from the graves in the graveyard do you see that skeleton yeah that's perfect yeah. man it, it's it's the perfect yeah. song for that scene <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I love all the shenanigans leading up to the rain bringing the dead back, which I think is probably the most ingenious device used in this uh, movie. Yeah, in the original Night of the Living Dead, I, it was um, it wasn't stated like explicitly, but it was heavily implied that it was some sort of space radiation from Venus or something like that from a satellite. Uh, so it's a little bit similar to that. I mean, it's not radio. I mean, it's kind of radioactive rain, I guess, or something like, or, or contaminated yeah. rain from the corpse. Because, <laughs> I mean, who would have thought? I mean, the, uh, they cremated the corpse of the 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 reanimated corpse from the warehouse, and they think that's going to be the end of it. But it actually makes everything a like a thousand times worse. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That that stuff was insane to like think about and. Uh... Yeah, all the all the like uh, cremation shit going on that really gave this movie such a like intense horror flavor. Like, I think the moment you bring cremation into a movie, then you might as well be considered horror by default because cremation is a terrible fucked up thing to consider. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I guess I'll go ahead and say that the Frank killing himself while he had enough sentience to realize that he was turning himself into a zombie brutal brilliant character moment just like like one of the best parts of the film like to to witness this guy like make himself do this like while he's still barely conscious going into um that tore me up i couldn't i couldn't believe it too like this whole movie i'd been watching and i was digging it you know like i mean i was taking it seriously on some level because it does try to have like social commentary about vietnam and the, like how the government like is really really bad at handling its shit all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh you know I, I dug that you know i'm uh i'm a i'm a kind of punk rock leaning guy uh i mean i the, the only thing i don't like about punk rock culture is when musicians use it as an excuse not to give a fuck about making good music if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah like that's the only thing i don't like about punk rock culture everything else the aesthetic and the politics of it i, I generally am cool with uh <laughs> and uh yeah i really um the red-haired woman in this film who is like the main uh gang leader's uh, girlfriend oh yeah yeah trash she was <laughs> yeah trash that's her name oh man i yeah. i thought maybe i thought maybe that was a joke i thought maybe there was an actual name holy <laughs> shit <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's the name that they call her i mean i don't think it's her real name but <laughs> that's the name that she goes by in the movie i, 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 I know it's pretty weird 
I thought maybe like in the credits they were like trash slash Tina or some something like that, oh. but no, it's, it's just straight trash. That's, that, yeah, that's the only that's name. Ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know if that in itself is a commentary because I mean, I, I'm gonna go uh, back a little bit here and touch up on a couple of things you've mentioned so far. So uh, yeah, the 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 job, you know, this guy um, gets a, a job at this weird warehouse where they're storing corpses and cut up dogs for medical schools and i don't know what the hell yeah and <laughs> that, probably, <laughs> that would be like the last place on earth that i would ever want to work in <laughs> just for the oh record. my god i can handle blood and, and stuff like that i mean to, to a point but i would not feel at ease or comfortable to walking around with knowing that there's corpses all around me <laughs> I can't even comprehend the amount of mafia guys I'd be seeing constantly, <laughs> and I just have to be like averting my gaze from to make sure I can live another day. <laughs> Dear Lord, man. So, so that yeah, I thought that was that was kind of memorable too. And then of course uh, when they bump or that the guy actually hits the the canister, and he says, "Oh, this is like made by the U.S. government. There's no way it's ever gonna fail." And like. Bleh! <laughs> oh that 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 was such a like brilliant line and yeah. like the impact of them just getting fucking blasted in the face <laughs> that was such a brilliant moment oh man that that's the type of moment you live for yeah dan o'bannon said that like his whole life he had lived as if he had never been alive and after he made this film he was fulfilled <laughs> I, I can understand why. I mean, this this movie is definitely a statement. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie is like kind of awesome. Um, I definitely think it has like holes in how it kind of presents itself. Oh, yeah, but I also think I also think that's that's cool too. Either way, you know, like he like everyone did the best they could making this thing. I always feel like. Um, I mean, it, it kind of looks like like the movie that it would be really fun to make if everyone's getting along it looks to me like i mean i i didn't hear anything about any complications behind the sets or i mean that i could find in my research app but yeah but uh i mean like anything i mean of course things have to be done on schedule and, and not take too long doing the, the, the shots because money and time is wasted you know so but i'm i'm thinking that for the most part it, it at least gives the appearance that people had a great time making this movie yeah, yeah. Um, this movie made a good profit back. It made like ten million dollars in profit. It's not bad. You know what the budget no, was? No, um, it was like four million. I think they got fourteen million in overall gross. Oh yeah, but how much did it cost to make? Do you know? Yeah, four million. Yeah, oh, four it cost million. Like four, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four million to make, I believe, and then like they they earned. 14 million in the box. Oh, that's not bad. I mean, for a little yeah, in, yeah. uh I wouldn't call this an in indie film, but it kind of is in its aesthetic, well, I guess. <laughs> for for like what it's doing in a major studio context, it is basically an indie film. Like, it's had maybe what, four locations at most? Yeah, it was the, the warehouse, the graveyard, the hospital, yeah, and the crematorium. Yeah, so maybe like four or five different sets, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was uh, I was really impressed at how well they could 
ratchet up the tension in such a limited locations you know what i'm saying like because i mean these really aren't much to look at right like so the fact that they were able to create all this good tension i really thought the camera work was pretty good for a first time director i mean I, i'm sure there's a great cinematographer working under him but as well even then like a director has to do a lot of setting up and dealing with shots either way so i, I felt like dan o'bannon had a really confident directorial debut <laughs> for sure man and so now we're getting to the part that, that you were talking about a little while ago which is um the the redhead lady trash yeah trash and her uh, intense like gyrations People can say whatever they want about the sexual component of it, but I think within the time period, it feels empowering almost because in film, they're really like, I don't think in film there are these like bold icons of like punk rock, you know, like there, there are these like bold representations of punk rock in film at that time. So I think it's like very progressive on a certain level. I'm sure Dan O'Bannon is getting his own kick out of like making this woman dance around naked for all these what we're supposed to believe to be teenagers. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on there. I'm sure we probably wouldn't be doing that right now. These oh, no. people would not, these people would all have to be what in their early twenties to get away with having her act like yeah. that, right? Well, yeah, in the context of the story, yeah. But I mean, it's it's always been and i've talked about this in other episodes of the, of the show that they have to get older actors because of i mean for one stuff like this i mean they couldn't get a younger actor to do this i mean of course of course they, they can't do that to them but um on top of that it's also the fact that if they're still in school they gotta hire tutors for them and they gotta get um they can't they can't work past a certain hour so you know they, they have a very limited schedule as far as their their time and also their schoolwork. They have to work with so that's why you, you always see quote-unquote high school kids that are like 30 year old year olds you know? oh yeah yeah well um i'm sure that also went into the casting of this like as part of a metatextual thing because let's face it uh dan o'bannon probably has uh as much he, he has as much awareness of the horror and sci-fi genres as anybody else that's ever, you know, worked on a film. And I'm sure he was aware of, like, how funny it is that all these older people have to play teenagers. I'm sure he was playing up on that a little bit. So I don't think the nudity is necessarily um a kick off of them being teenagers so much as it is like a ridiculous ratcheting up of teenage cliche you know yeah. what i'm saying like yeah 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 <laughs> as far as the movie goes i don't know if i want to call it symbolism but when or actually i think it's foreshadowing when she's talking about uh like you ever thought about how you're gonna die or, or being killed or something and then she talks about how she wants to be eaten alive and i was like what the hell <laughs> oh i didn't even piece that together because later on she, later on she turns into like the mega zombie somehow after all the yeah. other zombies like supposedly bite her like to death and just eat her whole but then she comes out and she's like this mega zombie that has all these abilities that that did not make any sense to me it's a cool <laughs> visual idea i think that was a real flaw in the film is that like she got 
she got kind of sacrificed and then turned into the zombie queen archetype. Um, and then later on, I guess that would become what they did for the model in Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Yeah. And uh, that uh, that movie has a real real spot in my heart. Always has. Um, I discovered that when I was a kid on late night TV. I think that thing was the first like real full on like kind of fucked up gory horror movie. I like that movie a lot too, actually quite a bit. And I think, um, just real quick here, that I I do think that movie in its own weird way is kind of like Romeo and Juliet with zombies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, so. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the director who worked on that. It's the same guy who did Reanimator. Really, a really good director. Maybe doesn't always have the best material and budgets to work with sometimes, but that's not that's not anything to hold against him. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, Return of the Living Dead Part Three. Like, I think I was like four or five when I came across that on late night TV. Um, and yeah, I probably watched that whole thing. I saw everything I shouldn't have, and that was just like horrifying to me for years on end. But I kind of love it now that I'm an adult because <laughs> it just reminds me of my childhood. This series, is, uh, I think the first two or three movies are, are the better ones, and then like every other series after that, it kind of starts going downhill. Yeah, anything else, like, after three, I just don't even consider worth glancing at. Like, they have, like, a whole sci-fi run that's, uh, on some level, a continuation of what this is. And it's just, no, I can't make myself go through that. <laughs> no, I think I watched one of the later sequels. I don't know if it was part five or six. I don't even know which one it was. Um and it was about some rave in college. I think it's called Rave to the Grave or something like that. And I was like, ah. Oh, that's one of those? Oh, yeah. I thought that was maybe like a different sci-fi property because I've seen that one and it's awful. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. Yeah. It has nothing going for it. Uh, I, It doesn't even have the base pleasures that those type of movies are usually supposed to offer. I, it's It's bad. You mentioned how those movies, I guess, lost their essence or lost their way. And one of the things that I liked about this movie, the the original, or part one, if you will, is the special effects. Oh, oh, wow. They're great. I think this movie is equal to the first two Evil Dead movies and the way it employs its effects. Yeah. Dude, like, uh, that scene where, where, I mean, of course, yeah, we talked about the rain, and, and then the, the dead start rising from the graves, literally. <laughs> there And there's all kinds of dead people. There's, like you said, there's skeletons, and there's people that are partially decomposed, and people that are more decomposed. So, you see different kinds of, of makeups and, and special effects, and it all looks pretty cool. Of course, no, no CGI, because this is in the 80s, so there's no computer stuff. I think that's what makes it look awesome, dude. Like, there's that whole... They have to do this for real type of thing. Versus... We, we can always use a computer to animate the zombie or whatever. Like. Definitely. I really I really felt like all the effects work was expertly done. Especially for a movie that probably doesn't have the biggest budget. You know, like, they're, they're definitely skimping on these locations as much as they can. You know, that's why we... 
we have like three locations that are probably basically within walking distance of each other. I was really excited <laughs> to go to see how the effects were going on because they 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 don't animate skeletons, right? But they do animate corpses. Like as long as there's meat on the bones, <laughs> you're probably coming back to life. And the two guys that get sprayed with the gas, like their transformation is also fascinating. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. And to me, one of the the most significant scenes in the entire movie is when the tar man appears the, the character or the zombie that that became known i don't i don't think he's called tar man in the movie or like nobody calls him that but he became like people started calling him that and that's one of the most iconic zombies in any movie dude just the look of him and the, the way he he acts as far as his zombies start you know kind of like yeah and he's just like yep. brains, and you see him eat some dude's skull in half. Like, is it like? Yep. They uh, they reuse a couple of shots from the zombies coming up from the ground. It's not really, it's not a big deal at all, especially when you consider the type of film this is. But I, I still think it's effective to see it every time because, uh, like, they do the same where they have, like, a leveled camera that goes down underneath the ground. It's, it's so, ah, it's so good. Like, I don't, they probably had to set up a whole stage to make it work properly. Getting back on to our, our, our dear lovable trash. How did you feel about her transformation? Because I just thought, like, it didn't make sense. How is her skin completely preserved? <laughs> I agree with you. That's one of the things that I didn't understand, I guess, about the movie. That you see her basically being torn to pieces by, like, four or five different zombies. And then, all of a sudden, she she's uh, taller and faster and <laughs> scarier than the, all the other zombies. So, I'm like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> That felt like a uh, producer thing, like from the, from, yeah, you know, like a, a producer is like, well, we need something to look at throughout the film. You know, we just got all these zombies. There's nothing to look at here, Sonny. Nothing to look at. You know, people want to go to the movies to look at people. Come on. <laughs> that's that's kind of like what, like that feels like, you know, people want to see a pretty lady. You know, that's, that's, come on, come on, Dan. It, okay, fine. <laughs> After that whole scene happens with, with her, I guess, being eaten and stuff, you start seeing all the other zombies waking up. And one of the things that's different from these zombies versus all the other ones is that they are smart. They can talk. And I think that's one of the best elements of the film, too. I'm sorry if I hadn't really done a good job of focusing on that. But, yeah, it leads to a lot of really good gags because even though they're somewhat sentient and they can kind of like problem solve they're not that fast still and they're kind of they're kind of dumb still but <laughs> everyone around them is so inept that they're just able to take care of everyone like easily <laughs> the police all get called in and like there's like three or four cars that come before like this whole cavalcade of police from across the state come in to deal with things. And then that there's like a whole line of cars where like two policemen each get out of and 
they just get mugged and there's just some zombie that lets that like halted them in before they were going to let them in and they can't even tell it's a zombie like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like when they all get out just they're just swarmed and you just see like 20 <laughs> cops get killed at once it's sweet like <laughs> in one scene dude yeah you're right like um you're talking about that scene where it's a cop that's been zombified right and he's like doing the the with the flashlight type of thing yeah 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 of course yeah and because they also do the same thing to the paramedics i think they eat some paramedics and then one of the zombies is like send more paramedics and they send like three more ambulances yeah <laughs> no yeah. questions asked they send them yeah out. yeah i think it's only like maybe two for that but even then like there's like two police cars that come i think that's so funny like it's just so easy for these fucking slow dead ass things <laughs> to get on top of like all these supposed professionals like yeah it does not it does not paint anybody who works in rescue as a good <laughs> competent person um which I felt bad for all the paramedics and people uh, <laughs> who were getting eaten. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure like half the cops showing up there were just looking for teenagers to mess around <laughs> with. In spite of the fact that the cops aren't very smart, it's fun, I guess, in a way, to see how the zombies lay the trap for them. Yeah, it's anarchic. Like, I think this movie shares a lot with a movie like uh, Gremlins 2, and that's kind of self-aware about horror tropes. <laughs> like, in an aggressive manner, you know, like, you kind of have to laugh at a few things. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very tongue-in-cheek, I guess, is the expression. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that That's the thing with Trash, too. I, like, take her with a intense tongue-in-cheek approach. I think, like, <laughs> I think like she's purposefully made to kind of comment on the teen horror tropes. Uh, I I don't think it's the best it could be. Like it's very crude and it could be done better. But I, I don't think it's offensive in the way we look at other stuff from this era. Are you a fan of Part Two? I've never even seen Part Two. Part Two is a little weird. I mean, it's it's similar to this, but there's I. I think they were trying to go for a little bit more of a serious tone with that one. There's still some of the, the uh, comedy elements to it, but I think on that one they kind of try to make it more serious. And then by the time they got to three, it's dead serious. There's almost no comedy in that one at all. So it's kind of like it, this started more as like a horror comedy, and then the next one is more of a horror movie kind of, but still some comedy. And then by the time they get to number three, that's when it's, it's pretty much uh, uh, a tragedy, I guess. And, uh, yeah, part three has its own, um, uh, gender issues going on, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, um, if I remember correctly, they kind of prop up that one girl as, like, a zombie, uh, princess warrior of some type by the end of the film. I don't remember the part three very well at all because I, I was watching it just growing up here and there on cable. So it's kind of fuzzy in my mind. It definitely doesn't have the same vibe as part one for sure. A lot of yellows being used in that that you don't see in this film. Now, coming back to this one, uh, uh, the whole thing with, with Trash, I did find some information about her from behind the scenes. And the actress' name is, is uh, her name in real life is Linnea Quigley. And there was some sort of um, 
I don't know if I want to call it a controversy or, or what the deal is, but allegedly what happened with that scene is that she was supposed to be fully nude, like like full frontal. Um, and it gives the impression in the, in the movie, in the way that it was shot, that she was, or, or that it, you can see everything, but you really can't. And what happened with that is they had to reshoot the scene a whole bunch of times. Because the first time they did it, it was, you know, 100% full frontal. And then somebody from the studio saw the, the, the cut they were working on and they're like, oh, hell no, we can't have her show everything on, on camera. Like, that's going to give us an X rating, whatever. No one's going to let us play the movie in their theaters. So then he or, or that person from the studio suggested that just have her shave everything off. And that should be more acceptable. And, and I'm like, I'm thinking at this point, reading this story, I'm like, how is that going to be any different? But okay. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. So they didn't really do anything besides have her shave herself. Well, that, that's yeah. only, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the, the, the next step they took into this. So, the, and, you know, instead of having her look the way she normally did, the this guy or this person from the studio was like, no, just have her shave and, and that should be, that, that should give us uh, an R rating or, or something like that. Something along the lines of, of of um i guess if, if you didn't show hair down there then it was okay for some reason that was the the rationale behind this and so they tried that and then they realized that it looked even more explicit <laughs> because now everything's uncovered and you can see everything everything you know 100 percent even more so then some other people from the studio saw that and i was like oh this is definitely not gonna be okay with the people that are gonna <laughs> give us the rating <laughs> So then what they did is, I think they used some kind of, of plastic prosthetic to cover her. Oh, okay. And, and so that's why when you see the movie now, it looks kind of like, almost like a doll. I really couldn't tell at all. I mean, I just don't see the point, really. I, I just don't. Like, it just didn't look any different at all to me. I just thought it was a nude woman walking around. I really couldn't tell. Exactly. So so that's how they solved that, that whole issue was that you know since they couldn't have her one way or the other because they were afraid that they're going to be censored they were like oh just just, just have her wear a, a plastic piece and i guess spray painted or whatever to match her skin and that's what they did and, and that's what when you see that scene i mean it, like like you said i think a lot of people myself included before i read the story we just assumed that she was fully naked and, and there was no cover on her I thought it was just a nude woman. I, I just thought, okay, well, that's how they did it. And yeah, I mean, cool I, I think uh, the top part, I think that's that's uncovered, and that's, that's I guess, more acceptable in a way, quote-unquote, or it used to be more acceptable in cinema. I yeah. mean, a, a whole bunch of 80s movies had a lot of nudity, especially the horror ones. Yeah, there was and, a yeah. yeah. Perhaps, but normally, they, they, they didn't show the, the bottom part. It was usually just the, the, the upper right. body right. of the woman. Right. So, um for some reason, yeah, that, that's, that's uh, I was thinking, like, wow, this is a little bit of an unusual piece of, of, of history, I guess. That was hetero grooming back in the day, right? We gotta show the top parts, everybody. That's the moneymaker. For the people listening to this that are younger, I mean, it was a different time. And, and not, not that it makes it better, necessarily, but if the philosophy back then was, was that if you want people in the seats, you gotta have naked people. Yeah, and like I'm not saying it's necessarily something that has to happen. Um, I do think there was things people could say 
like with that and like liberties they could take because I guess people were a little more open to nudity on a certain level in cinema. But yeah, like I, there, there's still plenty of things people can do. And I, I think if we're going to try to show nudity, then we should try to show a little bit more of a spectrum at least, you know, <laughs> um, but that's just my two cents. Now, for example, most horror movies that I've seen lately, they don't have that kind of... They, they don't, they don't. No. And a good deal of horror movies, they are PG-13, right? Not that I want people like to be nude on the screen all the time, so you know, whatever, but... No, uh, no. But, to me, it's always been a mystery why it is that people make movies that are meant to be horrific and uh, not very kid-friendly, I guess, in a way. They're making them PG-13, and it's like, that, that kind of limits how much you can show on the screen as far as violence and not that i want to see a lot of violence either because i think the best movies are the ones that don't show too much does that make sense i'm genuinely surprised by how much this movie holds back at times and i thought that was a real like element uh to it that was a a big selling point in actuality because i think it puts its gore right where it needs to be. Um, I think the zombies are presentable in a manner that isn't too off-putting while also being recognizable as undead creatures. If I'm not mistaken, the writer for this was uh, also involved in the, you mentioned, right, in the in the writing of the first, of the actual Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, yeah, like, and basically he owned the rights to the idea, like, the term living dead. So this is, like, I guess a, a closer spiritual sequel in a way than Romero's is because it actually has the living dead tag on it. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't think it matters, really. I think it's just a, a, like, convenient way both of them came up with so they could both make movies under the uh, zombie ideal. So, going back to the scenes a little bit, uh, of course, you know, the zombies start kind of catching up with, with the survivors one by one, so they start kind of lowering their, their ranks, you know, kind of start eating people here. Yeah, and... Uh, Everybody was split up into kind of two camps, and it was like Frank, uh, Frank's boss, who kind of uh, manages that big uh, body warehouse. He took them over to the crematorium owned by the, uh, well, I guess he is owned. I guess he works for the state, um, <laughs> but owned by the uh, uh, mortuary, uh, not, not the mortuary. Mortician, that's the word I'm yeah, looking for. The, the, the morgue, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the mortician, he's working late at night, and he was supposed to be trying to help them. And <laughs> that's how the fumes went up into the air because of his crematorium. <laughs> and and like that mortician is one of the best parts of the film. Like he is the kind of rational guy in the situation, always. <laughs> trying to get the better like sense of calm about a situation. I really liked his character. I liked that they kept him straight for the most part, that he wasn't played for cheap laughs. I thought he added a hell of a lot to the movie. Like really yeah. <laughs> Great performance on that guy's part too. He's I'm pretty sure he's something of a genre star. I just can't remember his name. I think he's called Ernie in, in the movie. Ah, but I, I don't know his name in real life. 
another thing that I thought was interesting is the actor that plays Freddy. Um, he actually went on to play the part of Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 6. So we kind of did uh, get a Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> because he, uh, in that movie, in Part 6, Tommy Jarvis is one of the main characters, and he actually is the one that fights Jason and, and, makes, and stops him at the end. So I thought it was kind of funny that you, you, you kind of do get to, to see... Uh, Somewhat of a Freddy versus Jason because it's it's a, the, <laughs> it's the same actor, it's you know. It's, it's kind of a. It's really wild. I would have never picked <laughs> that out. I've never been a, I've never been a Friday the Thirteenth fan. Now, uh, now Nightmare on Elm Street, I I can go through most of those. Like after the first one, the only one I think is a genuinely good movie is um, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh yeah, but. But the other ones, they're better than a lot of other horror movies, for sure. The third one is definitely a hell of a lot better than most 80s horror movies by a leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, of course, then, you know, we, we get more scenes of the zombies ambushing the cops and, and stuff like that. And then, of course, the ending is kind of a... I don't know if I want to call it a Debbie Downer ending, but it kind of is in a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, yeah, basically, um, we we meet this general earlier in the movie. He's kind of set up in a clunky way, but it turns out that his whole job is to be at the house and be contactable all the time. So that way, if any of this gas breaks out, <laughs> he's there to create like a situation that will like tame tame it down. So he does something and it creates more rain that like <laughs> goes over the city, <laughs> and that's when we see our last bit of zombies coming up from that. So they call the army, and then they they ask for the coordinates, and then they basically shoot a, a an atomic bomb their way. <laughs> Kinda. That's that's what happens. Yeah, there's uh -huh. like an atomic bomb that just blows off like <laughs> all of Louisville dude and then that brings in the radioactive rain because yeah. of all the the fallout from the atomic bomb yeah okay yeah, yeah that's what brings more zombies up it's a problem that keeps perpetuating itself that was a big part of the commentary too is that the military has been testing out these chemicals on the population for so long and they don't give a shit they're trying to figure out whatever they can to make whatever weapons they can to use against whoever and that's a yeah i felt that was really powerful okay thank you so much for clearing that up for me just kind of adding to what you said right now is that the the idea is that that chemical which is in the movie called trioxin 245 yeah, okay. Cool. That was yeah. supposed to be uh, a symbol for, or, or um, a reference, rather, to the real-life Agent, Agent Orange. Orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> now we know what it did to people. Back then, though, the military would say that, oh, it's just going to kill the plants and it's not going to harm anyone as far as people. You guys can walk around it and, and nothing's going to happen. And, of course, we all know what ended up happening in real life. Yeah, yeah, there's a monologue about that, I think, earlier in the film, where, where like, uh, Frank is talking about working in the military, about how he, like, handled that stuff, and it didn't, like, it, it didn't seem at the time like a big deal, because they said it was like, oh, you can just deal with it, it's not a big deal, you know? 
that's basically uh, one of the main things in the movie. Like you said, that it's it's kind of a in the middle of all its campiness and comedy and, and ridiculousness, there is some sort of a social message to it. Yeah, it's my favorite sort of genre film, like something that has a big message hidden in its obvious like genre trappings because I think those are the best genre films when you have a guy that's trying to say something while also trying to make an excellent uh, genre picture. <laughs> um, you know, like the original Night of the Living Dead is the same type of situation. Um, there's a lot of social commentary in there. Um, the, the casting of a black actor in the lead was very controversial at the time. It, it was a big political statement. And, uh, hey, you know, that actor was incredible. He deserved all the <laughs> accolades that came across him in reviews. He deserves his place in horror history. Yeah, I, I, I love this. I really love this film. I'm going to go through it several more times for sure. Just to recap the things that I thought were interesting about the movie. Of course, we mentioned the, the social commentary, the social messages. Um, but also uh, the makeup, you know, the, the special effects were awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good makeup <laughs> overall. Yeah. Um, I, I think these are some of the best of the ones that I've seen in, an, I guess, indie film, maybe you want to call it that. Uh, the Tarman, especially. Tarman is my favorite zombie in this entire movie. Tarman, I like him. Um, oh, the the like... the lady that's in the, when they ask her why the zombies are eating the brains. That one's kind of gnarly too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And they strap that one down to try to like figure out what's going on with them. And that's when they reveal that the whole reason they eat brains is because that's the only thing that calms them from the existence of being the living dead. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like they eat the brains because it makes the pain of being dead go away or something like that. Yeah, 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 really powerful moment in the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, let me see, I'm trying to think of, of something else that I had in mind and I kind of <laughs> try to blank you for now. But um, I mean, overall, man, it, it's it's definitely a, a very, I think, entertaining movie. I think everyone that, that is a fan of the horror and zombie genres should watch it at least once. Because it's definitely a, a, a great addition to that. I, I, I like the fact that it's different in the sense that zombies don't die by hitting them in the in the head. They don't die by cutting off their heads. Right, right. They just yeah. live. Like, mm. what? <laughs> it's wild. Um, yeah, so there's really no surefire way to stop them in this movie. I mean, even if you burn them, that makes it worse because it just makes everything... Uh, it makes more zombies when it rains. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of a great little self-perpetuating thing, too, for sequels <laughs> as well. That, and they're smart. They're able to talk yeah. and, and get people to fall for their traps and stuff like that. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you imagine the zombies in, like, 28 Days Later being smart like this? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and that's a <laughs> that's a that's where i uh, bring in my like uh, joe dante comparison too because if you look at something like gremlins the gremlins really aren't like that much of a threat if you're just keeping an eye on them but they can they're just clever you know they're, they're capable of doing things that outsmart people because people aren't on their guard they're not like <laughs> paying attention <laughs> you know like that scene i talked about earlier where like the 30 cops just get eaten in one big line 
all all they had to do was look at the guy and like take a good look at him and see that he was obviously <laughs> not a like healthy human being and they had like parts <laughs> of his skin completely ripped out yeah like, <laughs> yeah the living dead are only successful because human beings are so incompetent and i think that's an awesome <laughs> message <laughs> for yeah. this movie I think that yeah, that's, I think another thing that they were trying to say that um, we're not as smart and savvy as we think we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people could say it's cheap cynicism, but yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I mean, I I do think that sometimes we consider ourselves to be smarter than we are, in a lot of ways. So I think that's definitely something the the movie gets across. So and then of course you know the 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 end with the nuclear bomb. So it's like, you know, if if you can't solve it, burn it and destroy it forever. That's kind of like another <laughs> yeah. thing that, that we do as human beings. Like, well, if we can't solve this problem. Let's just set it on fire. <laughs> burn it. Burn it. <laughs> Basically, and of course that ends up backfiring for them too. And just as a little side note here on part two, you find out, or the characters in the movie find out, you can actually stop them with electricity. Oh, so okay. that, like if you shock them, that actually does kill them, but they don't yeah. find that out until part two. So yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't make the fire connection, but yeah, you're totally right. We, as human beings, so much of our uh, applications and problem solving are just burning things. <laughs> and I, uh, I watched the new Beavis and Butthead earlier today, and that has so much fire humor in it. I couldn't believe they got away <laughs> with like having so much fire humor in that thing. Oh, dude, I haven't seen that one. I want to see it, though. It's awesome, actually. I loved it it's so much. Um, it kind of looks like it has Archer rejects and the character models here and there, but it's not a problem whatsoever. <laughs> man, I haven't seen Beavis and Butthead in years, man, so that'll, that'll be a, a good experience when I do get to see it. I still need to see that uh, MTV season from like 2011. Oh, I never yeah. got around to that. Yeah, they did like one last season or, or something like that. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yeah. either, dude. But they, I think they have a whole new season coming up, and they also have a new season of King of the Hill coming up. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, big year for Mike Judge. He has like nine other shows, too. Wow, man. Good for him. Oh, yeah, hella good for him. <laughs> He's really, really good. So, anything else you want to add, Robbie, before we sign off for tonight? Um, you know, hey, I'm Robbie Sherman from Conversations with Robbie Sherman. I got the Freakazoid podcast, the Freak Out pod coming soon. Um, I'm going to be doing some video game streaming. If you go to my Twitter, I'm going to be putting up my Discord for people to check out. And, you know, I'm, that's where I'm going to be doing a lot of my streaming and stuff. It's been a pleasure being on here, Chewy. I really appreciate uh, your offer to come on. Actually, before we sign off, I do have to ask you to help me with the scores for this movie. Uh, I, was, oh, okay. I almost forgot about okay. that. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so we do scores for the movie itself and then for the bad guys. So, okay, so for the movie itself, we always think of creative units. So let's go with how many buckets of brains out of 10? All right, um, nine. 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 I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna give this a nine too. So nine out of ten from both of us, as uh, we both think this is a great, entertaining movie. So nine out of ten buckets of brains from both of us. 
And as far as the bad guys, which I guess would be the zombies, or are they the bad guys? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, no, human beings are the bad guys. <laughs> All right, but yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, that's that's a little on the fence. But I guess we can just give a score for the zombies. And as far as as um, creatures slash monsters, how many skulls out of ten do they get? For oh, they get a ten out of ten. The effects work <laughs> in this film for the time is really good. It's mm -hmm. Really, really good, and they have a lot of personality. Like, uh, like the. They're not just like things that run around eating brains. Like they actually do kind of have a <laughs> uh -huh. like clever ideas going on with them. Like occasionally they make uh, occasionally they make a very big broad appearance for several zombies to distinguish them in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna give them a ten. I'm gonna agree with you on that too, man. Because uh, this is one of the most creative takes on the zombie trope because they are so different from all the other ones they are smart they can talk they can lay traps like you said that they're all very unique and they all have their personalities and like the the 80s death rock thing too really adds a great oh, yeah. flavor yeah they they even include it in with the zombies and it helps a lot it helps give the film so much character so before we sign off i want to remind listeners that uh, we do have our social media you can find us on twitter facebook instagram etc the easiest way to find us is to go to our linktree account and that's linktree.com slash myths behind lgds you can find the link to that on our spotify and anchor profiles so if you're listening to us under you can just click on that link and it'll take you right to our home base you can follow us on all our social media and i do want to ask everyone once again to wish mariah a fast recovery from corona because she was um she told me i think sometime on monday or tuesday this week that she was not going to be able to record but i think she's doing better today so hopefully she's she's back next week and, and we can have her back hope you get the feeling better mariah mm -hmm. yeah thanks man uh, robbie it's been a pleasure man it's always great talking to you awesome uh had a great time with with you today talking about this movie it's it's really fun um, so yeah, man, let's, let's go ahead and keep in touch and maybe we can do another one sometime. It's been, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Chewie. Have yeah, definitely, night. dude. And having said all that, that was our episode on The Return of the Living Dead. Make sure you stay away from weird people dancing naked in the graveyard. Make sure you <laughs> stay away from people rising from their graves in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a very good thing, I don't think. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, until we see you in the next one, have a good one.